And that's why I'm looking forward to this morning's message as we talk about hope. But before I do, I have to ask, how was your Thanksgiving? Fantastic. Thank you. I hope you guys did have a fantastic, a great Thanksgiving. Um, I know it was different. Some of us had traditional. Some of us not so traditional. Um, some of us were isolated. Some of us were together. And uh, I don't know if you had family with you that you hadn't seen in a while or if you just didn't get to see family at all. Regardless, um, everybody hopefully had a great Thanksgiving. For some of you, this might have been one of those Thanksgiving where you had an open seat at the table. Uh, you Maybe you lost somebody this year and your heart was probably broken during this holiday. And I just want to remind you that in that moment, as your heart breaks, it reminds you how much love hurts, but how much, too, we are reminded to look around the people that are here right now and to not take them for granted and to love them. So let's make sure we do that as well, because with mixed emotions, there comes wonderful celebration, and we all have reasons to give thanks to God. But now, like the changing of seasons, Thanksgiving is here and gone, and guess what? Here comes Christmas, right? Um, But let's not rush too quickly into this. We know Christmas is different than any other holiday. We prepare for Christmas like no other holiday. We have calendars that count down to the holiday. We have, I don't know if anybody does this, maybe some of the kids do, the paper chain links that, you know, you put together and you tear off a little link every day. Nobody does that. Was it just me? Okay. Um, I don't do it anymore. But anyway, I remember those days. Some of us have a, a list of cards to send. Some of us have some shopping to do, some wrapping to do, and then some delivering of the gifts to do. Some of us maybe have concerts or events to attend. There's, there's different things coming up, and there's like nothing else like Christmas, is there? But before all of that, you know, let's, let's remember this is about who? Jesus Christ, right? And then, but I don't know, the amazing thing is we sit there and say, it's all about Jesus, but then we're off to doing all these other things again. And we have to ask, is it really about Jesus? Because sometimes there's a knock at our door. And you open up the door and there stands two visitors. Busyness and consumerism. And they love just to barge into your life, don't they? And keep you busy and keep you consumed with everything. And they just sort of come into your house like, oh, that unwanted cousin Eddie. You know, some of you may know what I'm talking about. And like uh, anybody else, as most Christians, we're too nice to tell them to leave. Uh, Just come on in, have a seat. We entertain them or we get annoyed with them, but we're just too nice to say you're not welcome. But then there's a third knock, and it's Advent. And Advent needs to come in. Advent deserves a seat at the head of the table. And some of us are like, who's Advent? Right? Advent is that third guest that shows up in our life that we need to let come in. It's the celebration of the first coming of Jesus Christ as Messiah. And it's the expectation of his second coming. That is Advent. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. See, at the end of the Old Testament, God's people were like waiting for the Messiah, prayerful expectation that Israel will once again find a king. But God's gracious acts of leading them out of the Egypt through the Red Sea, they're like, well, maybe he'll do that again. Maybe he'll return and, and his grace of actions of love will 
pour upon us. Well, that's part of it. Scholars believe that during the 4th and 5th centuries in Spain, there was a season of preparation for the first coming of Jesus. And during that season of preparation, people would spend 40 days in penance and prayer and fasting to prepare for the celebration. There was really no connection at that point between Advent and Christmas. But by the 6th century, Roman Christians, they decided, well, we're going to look at the timing of this. And they had in mind not just the first coming of Jesus in the manger, but a second coming of Jesus in the clouds as a righteous judge. In the Middle Ages, Advent then was explicitly linked then to Christ's first coming at Christmas. See, there's a change throughout history. Today, Advent lasts usually for the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. And many choose to read daily reminders, sing songs, focus on the candles, maybe each candle representing hope, peace, love, and joy. And they prepare us for a spiritual season. Israel, they would have sung about the coming of Christ. The church now sings about the commemoration of when he came and when he's coming back. And I know sometimes it's difficult to see Christ in the midst of the holiday rush. It's hard to put our minds on Jesus Christ when we're looking at lights and decorations and presents and everything else that comes with it and the cooking and the baking and whatever else. Advent is meant to be a time of spiritual renewal. And so as I was praying about this during the month of December, I feel like as a pastor, I want to lead you through that time of spiritual renewal. I want to encourage you as a church to take this time of Advent and let's reflect on the coming of Jesus, his first coming, and our expectant thoughts of anticipation of his second coming. With the the help of a few resources that I will email you out this week and put on social media, we'll start the journey together. And I hope that you take time during this season to just be spiritually renewed. That's sort of my goal for this time. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, To do this, though, we need to know who Jesus Christ is. I mean, we're going to be talking about him all the time. Matter of fact, some people said, hey, come to your church and all you ever do is talk about Jesus. That's sort of the point, isn't it? I mean, that's what we do around here. We talk about Jesus. But here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, there isn't much when it comes into Advent or other things you, you need to know. When you, see, when you know his name, it means so much more. Sort of like in the Old Testament when we were going through the adventures in the uh, Bible in that series. We were learning about all these different names that God has. Jesus has a lot of different names, too. And my hope is for us to go through these, these names and for those to enlighten us and show us. Because if we don't know the name of Jesus, then you really don't know how to worship him. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, I came home at Christmas break, and a bunch of my high school buddies I hadn't seen in, I don't know, months, were like, hey, you want to go sledding? Yes, let's go sledding. So we're going to go sledding. And on the way to the sledding hill, we passed a cop who's sitting in the woods. 
Now, the speed limit is 35. It's going 35, right? So I passed him and said, oh, that was a sneaky place to hide, right? We get to the sledding hill, like, oh, we forgot something. So we went back to the house to go get it. And then on the way back, I wasn't going 35. I was going 44. Yeah, here's just a little side note. I've gotten three speeding tickets in my life, okay? Each speeding ticket has been 44 and a 35. So if you're ever behind me in a 35 zone, I am going 35, Okay, just to let you know. Not that I would go over. But anyway, um, I learned my lesson. So cop pulls me over. And back in that day, a lot different today. Back in that day, it was like, come back to my car. You go and you sit in the front seat with the police officer. And I'm sitting there in the front seat of the policeman. And he's sitting there with this, looking at stuff. And he goes, Rex Stump. You know Mark Stump? <laughs> I don't know Mark stuff. I got four brothers, Mark, Terry, Steve, David. Yeah, yeah, I know Mark stuff. That's my brother. And he goes, oh, <laughs> here's your ticket. <laughs> I was like, what did my brother do to you, right? Well, I found out there's two Mark stumps. See, there's my brother, and then there's another Mark stump, similar age, who's a troublemaker in school and in the city and so forth. Anyway, so he's linking me with the troublemaker, right? Because all he knows is the name Mark stump being the... The troublemaker, not my brother, Mark Stump. He might have been a troublemaker, but not like that other one. But the point is, because he linked Mark Stump in his thoughts, not knowing my brother, I was treated differently. If you don't know the name of Jesus Christ, you can't worship him as he needs to be worshipped. You can't live in a way that honors him. We need to know who Jesus is and what his name is. It changes our perception of him and how we interact with others and how we respect him and how we live for him. So during this Advent season, we're going to look at God's son, Jesus Christ, and we're going to celebrate his arrival 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, and we're looking forward to his coming back in the sometime near future. Open your Bibles, would you please, to the book of Matthew chapter 1. What I want to do this morning, I want us to discover that Jesus, his name is Hope. His name is Hope. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. First book in the New Testament. We read this. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. His name will be what? Jesus. And he'll save people from their what? Sins. Yeah. This year, this is huge. Such a simple verse. Might be the only one I have you turn to. I'm going to put a lot of scripture on the screen. You're just going to have to fly by if you want. But this one I wanted you to see to begin with because I want you to know that his name is Jesus. And he was born. He was sent on a mission to save people from their sins. The, the name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua which means the Lord Jehovah is salvation. In Hebrew, that's what Joshua means. The Lord Jehovah is salvation. In Greek, the name Jesus is the Lord Jehovah is salvation. Same. And when we look at the Joshua, remember Joshua took the people into a promised land and conquered the cities that they ever did, the armies that they faced. Jesus takes us into a promised land, a new life, and helps us conquer sin and death. Both were warriors. Both saved. And when I think of 
Joshua and what he did, you know, but now that's Old Testament. We go to New Testament, it's Jesus. And Jesus had a mission, which was much greater than Joshua. Luke chapter 19, Jesus meets this little short man, and a wee little man was he. His name was Zacchaeus. I had to give you a hint with the song, right? And he was a tax collector. He was trying to find Jesus. He had to climb a tree and look, find, listen to Jesus, right? Jesus like, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to your house. Oh, you're going to the house of a sinner? Oh, the religious leaders hated that. Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with this guy? Don't you know his reputation? And what did Jesus say? My mission Luke chapter 19, verse 10, is to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to develop a great program over here or develop a food pantry over there. It was all about seeking and saving the lost. He can save. He can save. Now, let's think about this for a second. What is he going to save us from? What did Jesus come to save us from? I know right now there's a lot of things that in this room some of you are hoping for. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now you're hoping for some kind of answer. Maybe it's finances. You're trying to figure out how am I going to take care of this? How am I going to pay for this? Christmas is coming. We've got this going on and that going on in my job. And maybe you have hope that somewhere in finance. Maybe it's something with a relationship. Something's gone wrong in a relationship. You're just like hoping, is this going to work out? I don't know. Maybe there's something going on with your work. You're hoping for an answer. And you have felt like at this point in time, nothing can save you. You're feeling pretty what? Hopeless. And in that moment of your life, as you're sitting here, listening, feeling a little hopeless, let me remind you, in your state of hopelessness, that God comes to save you. He's come to save me. He is what? The Lord of salvation. The Lord is our salvation. That's what his name means. And there are times when, no doubt about it, we may be lost. Literally, we might just be lost. I don't know which way to go. But then we find our way. Or there are times when we like, we're looking uh, maybe for something that we need to have in our life and we're like, I don't know if I'm going to get it, but then eventually maybe we get it. And there's times maybe we feel isolated and alone and we, we're like feeling hopeless again, but then a friend comes and puts their arm around us and it's feeling better, right? And it seems like we have these temporary fixes for those moments of hopelessness, but they are temporary. And Jesus comes to give us eternal hope but he does something else that we can't take care of. Maybe I can find my way. Maybe I can find my things. Maybe I have a friend that comes along. But you know what I have no hope for? Getting rid of my sin. See, when I mess up, when I make mistakes, I sin. I feel guilty. And I feel ashamed, as maybe you do too. I can't get rid of it. God can. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to forgive sins. He is my hope for salvation. Only Jesus can save us from our sin. Only Jesus can give us a fresh new start. Only Jesus, again, gives us that forgiveness. Hope is found in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord is our salvation. Let me give you another picture of the hope of Jesus. We have hope for resurrection and life. 
John chapter 11, verse 25, Lazarus passed away. He's been buried. Jesus shows up late. Mary and Martha confront him like, where were you, Jesus? We know you loved our brother. Where were you at? What did Jesus say? Look at the scripture. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? What if that was you and me? And we have a loved one buried in in a tomb. Jesus shows up. And we're like, where were you, Jesus? And Jesus goes, hey, Rex, I'm the resurrection and the life. In me is eternal life. If you believe in me, you're going to live forever. Do you believe that, Rex? Now, I didn't have what Martha had maybe in that moment of standing next to Jesus and having a a relationship with Jesus at that time and seeing all the things he did. But I I have record of it right here. And I've I've seen him at work in my life. I hope in that moment I could look at Jesus and say, yeah, I believe. But I think like Martha, I would maybe say yes, but maybe not fully understand what I just said. I've done more funerals this year than I've done in a long time. I've done in eight months, eight funerals. Now, for some of pastors, it's like, oh, I do more than that. It's like, it's not a bragging thing, okay? But I guess what I'm saying is, I've not done that many funerals in four or five years combined. And and then every funeral that I'm standing here officiating over a casket or an urn or whatever it may be, I'm reminded of my father. And I miss my father. And in those moments, in those funerals, I can totally relate to how the family's feeling. But my hope is in Jesus. You know why? Because he's the resurrection of life. I believe what Jesus said. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Do you believe that? I do. I really do. And maybe you, maybe you watch those sci-fi movies where there's that big evil villain. He's like, I hold my hand, the power of life and death. Oh, oh, oh. You know, and he gets that evil laugh. And, and then he's like, maybe he can, you know, knock off a couple of guys and blow up a few people in a few cities. But he does, does he really hold the power of life and death? No. One, it's just entertainment, okay? But we know there are evil people out there. And they think they have the power of life and death. They don't. Do you know who holds the power of life and death? Jesus. Jesus does. And I'm amazed when I think about this because it all began with God speaking to Adam, forming the dust, blowing life into the nostril of Adam, creating man that gives life to dirt. And then all through the Old Testament, we've seen moments where Jesus brings somebody back to life or God brings somebody back to life. And then you get to the New Testament and then Jesus is like, oh, let me do it too. I've come down onto earth now. I'm going to show you how this is done. And every time there was a funeral procession, there was a party afterwards. Don't believe me? Look at the scripture, Luke chapter 7. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. A large crowd from the village was with her. And when the Lord saw her, listen to this, he was over, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. Yeah, exactly. God was in their presence and he turned a funeral into a party. Now let's remember this awesome miracle, but let's remember another one too. Lazarus, the one I just sort of referenced earlier. He wasn't dead for minutes, hours. He was dead for days. And Jesus brought him back to life. And let's remember the story of Jesus himself. Not only was he bringing others back to life, he brought himself back to life. After three days, resurrected from the tomb. And after the resurrection, Peter and his disciples, they all ate with Jesus. And then Jesus, like, I'm going into heaven now. He ascends into heaven. He gives the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Disciples filled with the Holy Spirit speak up. They can't be quiet any longer. And to a large crowd, Peter said this, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and were witnesses to this fact. Mm. And Paul later on says, listen, we've been spiritually, Christians, listen, we've been spiritually resurrected from sin and death. He says this, Ephesians 2, 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Church, we've been raised to life with Jesus over sin. Therefore, we need to live differently. That's why Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3.1, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. You've been resurrected from sin and death, so start living like it. But what about my brother? What about my dad? What about my grandma? What about, what about them? that have been buried, they will be physically resurrected with Jesus. Scripture tells us, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you'll not grieve like people who, what, have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15 goes on to say, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. As I said, Jesus is a resurrection of life. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said this, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Sorry, no evil villains are allowed to hold the keys. Jesus already has them and you aren't ripping them out of his hands. He's the resurrection. He is the life. So when Jesus rose to life, he defeated death. And today, whenever we are faced with death, we have hope. The diagnosis a lot of us sometimes get from our doctors or from friends or their doctors, sometimes that diagnosis is bad. We have empty places at our tables 
during the holidays. And it's sad. But we can embrace the hope of new life. We can embrace the hope of physical resurrection. We don't have to go into holidays anymore feeling hopeless because we lost someone. Praise be to God in the highest that those who have passed away, those who have been made right and new, are resurrected in the presence of God right now. There's a resurrection. We have hope. I have hope. When I go to see mom at my other holidays, I don't think that mom's alone because I know dad is in the presence of God. There's hope. Yeah, it's sad, but I still have hope. And you should too. We also have another hope. Not just hope for salvation. Not just hope for a resurrection new life, but here's the third one. We have hope for a king. Matthew 2.2 2 says this. Where's the newborn king of the Jews? Remember the Magi, the wise men, they came to Herod and like, hey, we're looking for this, uh, this baby, right? What did they say? Where's the baby? What did they say? Where's the newborn what? King of the Jews. We saw stars arose. We've come to worship him. The wise men were seeking a king. The life of Jesus began with those people who were in power calling him what? King. Oh, it didn't stop there. Throughout life then. He was recognized as king. We'll never forget Palm Sunday, right? When he rode in, and what did the people shout? Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And his life not only began as a king, was celebrated as a king, it ended with those in power calling him a king. For above the cross where he was crucified was a sign. And on that sign, it read in multiple languages, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15 says this. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul goes, I'm the worst of these. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as an example of great patience even with the worst sinners. Paul's like, look at me, I'm a sinner. And, and if he can save me, the worst of them, he can save you. He goes on to say this, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive what? Eternal life. All honor and glory to the God forever and ever. He is what? The eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Wow. Jesus is our eternal king. Think about that. When we look around, we see a lot of things that just doesn't seem fair, right? Who's going to make a ruling on this? Remember, Jesus came first as a humble servant. Oh, this is one I wish I had a picture I could put up on the screen. I only have the scripture. But it's this. On his robe, at his thigh, was written the title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Can you imagine? I, you know, some of us are like, it's probably going to be a tattoo, right? And some of us are like, it's going to be a banner. We don't get tats. We're Christians. Whatever. Okay. I'm not even going to go there. I don't even know where to go with that. But all I know is this. On his side, his title will be proclaimed. King of kings. 
King of kings, Lord of lords. Who is the King of glory? His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. As I said, we live in times, we look around, and we sit there and think, things aren't fair, right? We don't argue with how rules are made and these, these mandates are established and then governing authorities throughout this rule and they make this decision. And it's like, who's making up these rules? And I want justice. I want fairness. I, I demand a candidate who's going to give us hope, who's going to clean up society, who's going to bring fairness to across the land. But I'm telling you right now, there's no one can do that. There's not a candidate. There's not a politician. Not even a pastor can make things fair. Only Jesus, he gives us hope that he is a king who leads and comes in and where there is injustice, he will bring justice. And when there is unfairness, he'll bring fairness. And when there is chaos, he will bring unity. Finally, we have another hope in this name, Jesus. Not just for salvation, not for life and resurrection or for a king, but we have hope for true light in this world in this world now, when it sometimes it seems dark, it's nice to know that there's a light, right? John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said what? I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. First thing Jesus does when he comes in with his light he exposes the darkness in our hearts and the sin in our life. When that light is shined on it, we're like, we have no choice but to seek forgiveness, right? But then his spirit comes into our life and the light of the world is now in us. And every time, you know, you hear me say, go be the church, you know what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to go reflect the light of this world. Just like the moon, the moon does not produce light, by the way. You say, oh, look, it's a full moon. Like somebody turned it on. The moon is never on, okay? It's not a light producer. It reflects the sun. We are like the moon. We reflect the sun of God. We reflect the light of this world. We should be a full moon all the time and reflecting who Jesus is, right? Philippians 2, 14 to 16 says this, do everything without complaining and arguing. That's hard, right? So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. We do. We live in a very crooked and perverse world, a dark world. And what did God say? I'm putting you in there as lights for me right now. The light of the world came. He left and he gave us his spirit so we can reflect his light to this world. There is hope for the darkest times because the light of the world lives here. This time of the year, it seems so dark, doesn't it? I mean, physically, it really does. It gets dark early. And that's why I'm okay with hanging up the Christmas lights early. I don't care what the electric bill is going to be because I want light. I don't like darkness. So when I drive around and I see lights lit up, I'm, I'm cool with that. I really am. Now, if they're up in July, we might have to talk, okay? But during this time of the year when it's so dark, so early, I like the light. I really do. And I think as followers of Jesus, we have the hope of an eternal light that needs to be reflected through us. And we need to turn that light on.
We need to shine. You know, I'm often uh, speaking to different athletic teams and coaches and, and various people in and, and, and life that are, one of their biggest struggles is this, wanting to give up. I just want to quit. You know, it's hard to be disciplined. It's hard when you feel like you're getting beat to, to keep fighting until the fourth quarter, the end of the game, and, and to not want to give up. Or in the probably the biggest thing is I work with so many teams that start off with a record of zero and zero, and halfway through the season they have a losing record. And they already know they'll never make it to the playoffs, they'll never win their league conference, and they still have a month or two of sport. And I show up every week just trying like finish strong, don't give up, keep going. And I think sometimes that's the same kind of message that God wants to give us because in a dark world, when we feel hopeless, here's the thing. Do you know why people want to quit? Because they don't think they have hope for anything. That state of hopelessness leads us and drives us to a point of just wanting to quit. Don't quit. Keep going. We have a God, and his name is Hope. Hope for salvation, hope for resurrection and eternal life, hope for a king, hope for a light in dark times. He is our hope. So I want to encourage you, church. This week is focused on that hope that we have. Do not give up. In dark times and crazy times, do not give up. Hold on to that hope. I want to encourage you to do whatever it takes. There's so much that we probably do in preparation for our homes at Christmas, the decorating. Oh, we've got to prepare, got to prepare. How about we prepare our hearts over the next four weeks? Spend time every day reading God's word. Meditate on one or two truths from God's word. Sing. Play songs of worship. Pray. Pray in a way you've never prayed before. Pray with your hands up in the air. Pray on your knees. Pray with your hands reaching out. Pray with your head bowed on your, maybe onto the floor, whatever it may be. Fast. Give up a meal and during that time, just spend time praying instead of eating. Do more of that than checking the social media and the news and the gaming and whatever it may be. Don't be a consumer of all the bad news and gossip that's going out there. Be a spreader of the good news. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, we have so much hope for. You are the Lord of salvation. You are resurrection and life. You give us hope. You're the light of the world. God, thank you. Those moments when we need direction, you are king. We can trust you. So God, you are that hope. Thank you for who you are. And we want to sing to you now, Lord. In thy name we pray.